Anyway, uh, this morning I'm going to be preaching from Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13. And uh, if you're able, will you please stand as we read from that passage? And let us ask God to um, apply his word to our hearts. It, it is him who uh, gives his word power, who opens our hearts and our eyes and our minds to understand it, and who causes it to bear fruit in our lives. If it were not so, um, we are corrupt and we would surely uh, twist and corrupt his word to our own condemnation. So we need his grace to, um, to help us as, as uh, we um, study from it today. So um, let's uh, read from it and then we'll pray together. Okay, Ephesians chapter 6 verse 10. His mighty power. For our struggle is not against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. Therefore put on the full armor of God, so that when the day of evil comes, you may be, may be able to stand your ground, and after you have done everything, to stand. Let's pray. Dear Lord, please open our eyes and, and our hearts to receive your word. Make our hearts fertile soil, Lord, and bear fruit. Lord, help us to understand and, um, and to uh, hear with our hearts what you have to say to us this morning. Use me as your instrument, Lord, and um, cast away anything that just comes from me. I pray, Lord, that you would just... Uh, Use me and speak through me and speak to us as you will by your spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Amen. You may be seated. So, I like action movies and uh, uh, I think one of the appeals of action movies is that uh, you uh, may, maybe this is just me that, but um, we have a natural desire to want to see justice done, and often what we want is we want to uh, we want to see justice done on our behalf, or we want retribution. We want to see the bad guys get it right. We, um, you know, when when uh, when the bad guys do something and somebody who's innocent or um, uh, or otherwise it suffers, we want to see them get their just desserts, right? I mean, um, peppermint that my wife and I watched the other night, and you know, it's way far out there because it's about this 
you know, regular soccer mom type lady whose uh, who's, uh, husband and daughter are killed by drug dealers. And, and uh, so she, she uh, goes off by herself and learns how to become like a super commando and then come back and single-handedly wipes out the entire drug operation by herself. You know, I know that happens every day, right? <clears throat> but, you know, when, when I see bad guys with black helmets and clubs swoop into a crowd and start beating up defenseless people, I want to get back at them too. Everything in, in me wants to put on my own body armor and go down there and give them some of their own medicine, right? It, uh, it makes us angry when uh, injustice is done. So lately, there's been a lot of things that have uh, that have gotten my anger up. You know, there are certain things like uh, uh, you know, it seems like bad guys are getting away with things. You know, um, you know, do uh, do I believe that the uh, the the election is being stolen? Yes, I do. You know, do I believe that the um, the coronavirus is being exploited to uh, control us and take away our freedoms and to sow uh, fear and dissension among us? Yes, I do. I think there are a lot of other things, a lot of other wicked things that are going on in the world, and it gets my hackles up, and I want to do something about it. The only thing is, is that... Um, most of these things are way out of my control, right? So God has been bringing a pa this passage to my mind a lot as I've been thinking about these things. And um, because of the things that are happening in the world these days. You know, um, the passage that we read this morning seems to contradict my way of thinking. The way that I want to react, the way that I re want to respond to the things that I see around me. And, um, you know, uh, when we're struck, we want to strike back. But there, this passage talks about a different kind of warfare, a different way to respond, a different, a different way to fight. And so that's what we're going to look at this morning. We need, I need, to remember that we are not at war with the people who appear to be our enemies. We're not at war with the people. And we're not, a, we're not even at war with the coronavirus. It's not our primary enemy. We're at war with the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. <clears throat> the powers of this dark world. And... Um, and the war is not primarily about who's going to be president or even about um, whether or not we have the constitutional right to worship, whether or not we have the right to meet together with our families, whether or not we even, you know, um, uh, you know our Declaration of Independence says that the rights that we have that are afforded by our constitution are inalienable right but that doesn't mean because they're god-given 
says that we, you know, uh, the, the Declaration of Independence says that we hold these truths to be self-evident that our Creator endowed us with inalienable rights and uh, um, uh, authorities, earthly authorities, do not have the right to take those things away. However, they do sometimes do it anyway, and they have the power to take them away, right? But um, uh, according to the Bible, it seems that those, are, those things are not the primary consideration for us. It isn't the most important thing for us to preserve our right to free speech. It isn't the most important thing in our lives for us to preserve even our right to assemble or to worship or to have the kind of uh, financial prosperity that we want or the government that we want in our nation. We have higher concerns and God has higher concerns for us. And that's what we're going to talk about this morning. Now, Paul wrote the book of Ephesians, or the letter of Ephesians, from prison. He was in prison in Rome when he wrote this letter. The last time Paul saw the Ephesians was when he met the Ephesian elders at Miletus on his way to Jerusalem. And in Jerusalem, he was going to be mobbed, beaten, and then arrested and imprisoned for two years. And then finally, he was to be sent to Rome in chains to face the emperor himself, the Roman emperor himself. When he met the Ephesian elders, he told them that he knew he was never going to see them again. And so um, he charged the elders to be shepherds of the church of God and to be on guard against the savage wolves, which would inevitably come in among them and attack the flock. Ephesians chapter, uh, chapter 6, uh, the passage that we read, is the climax and the conclusion of the letter to the Ephesians. It's a rally call and a call to arms, a manifesto for battle. It's how Paul sums up everything he has taught in the rest of the letter. But um, So how do we put on the armor of God? And how do we fight in this spiritual war? And what kind of weapons do we use? Now, uh, there have been a lot of sermons preached. The verses following, immediately following the passage that we read. And we will look at those. But I'm going to take a little bit of a different of approach. Uh, you know, I've heard a lot of different... Um, views on what the belt of truth is about and what the breastplate of righteousness is about and all this kind of thing. I think the real clues, though, for us are in the body of the letter that we just read because this part is a conclusion. And um, so I, that's the approach that I'm going to take. So we're going to kind of look sort of an overview of the book of Ephesians to help us understand what Paul means when he talks about putting on the armor of God what he talks about when he's telling us that we are at war with spiritual forces of evil. Now, as is um, common for Paul, he opens the first part of Ephesians, he gives us theology. 
And um, uh, I think a, a lot of his motive for, for what he decided to write to Ephesus was um, par, uh, partly inspired by his circumstances, the fact that he was in prison and he didn't know for sure if this was going to be the end of his life. It turns out it wasn't, not yet. But um, so uh, he was inspired by the Holy Spirit to give, um, give the Ephesians a picture of God's big master plan for the world and for the church. You know, it's a little different approach than the book of Romans, which is a comprehensive um, uh, teaching on the gospel. This is sort of a look at what is God's overall plan? What, what's he going to accomplish um, uh, through the church uh, as, uh, you know, he consummates history? And um, so, incidentally, um, the letter to the Ephesians was not, probably not just written to the Ephesians. It was meant to be distributed to the region roundabout. So it's a generalized letter. It isn't meant to just uh, it isn't addressed directly to address uh, to uh, address problems within the Ephesian church, like uh, 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 let's see, Colossians was like that. It was directed at problems in the church at Colossae, a heresy, and First uh, uh, and Second Corinthians and things. Those were more directed to those churches. Ephesians is more of a general universal letter. So, what did Paul teach us in the theological portion about um, God's plan? Well, he said that God chose us before the creation of the world and that he predestined us to be adopted as his sons and that we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of sins. This is just a summary, but he also says that we were marked with a seal, the promised Holy Spirit, who's a deposit guaranteeing our inheritance in Christ. He tells us that we were by, before we were in Christ, we were by nature objects of wrath. But because of his great love for us, God made us alive in Christ even when we were dead in transgressions. And in the coming ages, Paul says that God intends to show the incomparable riches of his grace expressed in his kindness to us in Christ Jesus. It's like, uh, it's like God intends to lavish all of his blessings, all of his treasure, everything that he has in his uh, treasure vault, he wants to lavish upon us. Another high um, and exalted purpose that Paul talks about is he says that God's ultimate purpose in Christ is to bring unity to all of creation. This is to quote, his, his, God's purpose is to bring all things in heaven and on earth together under one head, even Christ. This unity is first to be realized in the church. He did this first by destroying the barrier 
the dividing wall of hostility between Jew and Gentile by making Gentiles fellow citizens with God's people and by reconciling both Jew and Gentile to God through the cross. By implication, this unity is to break down other barriers as well. Uh, in Galatians chapter 3, Paul says, You are all sons of God through faith in Christ Jesus. There is neither Jew nor Greek, slave nor free, male nor female, for you are all one in Christ Jesus. <clears throat> so in the opening uh, theological part of the letter, um, you know, I hope I touched on the major points there. But, you know, God talks about the wonderful things that God has done for us. That, you know, while we, we were dead in our transgressions and sins and helpless to save ourselves, God had love because of his great love for us. God rescued us from and, and made us alive in Christ and, um, and exalted us in Christ and gave us every spiritual blessing in Christ and seated us with Christ in the heavenly realms, and that he chose us before the creation of the world to be holy and blameless in his sight, and he predestined us to be adopted as his sons, and his intention is to unite all creation, which has been divided, and, and th there's, there's been enmity and strife caused by the sin that entered the world when... Um, our forefather Adam sinned and brought sin and death into the world. And so we can see that all around us, right? We can see enmity and strife are all around us today, too. But God is, his purpose is to bring an end to that, to bring an end to that enmity and to bring unity in Christ, all united under one head, Christ Jesus. He is to be the head. So, because of these theological things, Paul says, okay, now that you know this, because this is true, now this is how you should live. And this is usually the way Paul teaches. So he brings the practical application part of his letter. The first thing that he talks about is in, in his letter is to urge us to make every effort to preserve the unity of the church. Remember that this, this unity that God has planned for all creation is first manifest in the church. <clears throat> so if we destroy the unity of the church, then, you know, what an affront that is to God, right? The, um, it even says in Ephesians that God intends to display his manifold wisdom to the rulers and the powers in the heavenly realms through the church. The church is like God's trophy that he shows off to all of creation and says, look, this is my jewel. Look at what I have done. It displays his glory because of God what God has done by reconciling us to himself and us to each other and by rescuing us from our sin. It displays God's glory. So 
one of the greatest ways that we can glorify God is by, is by preserving the unity of the church. Paul says we do this by being humble, gentle, patient, and by bearing with one another in love. He talks about building up the body of Christ through works of service and love as each part does its work and by speaking the truth in love. Then Paul insists, after he talks about the unity of the church, he insists that we no longer live the way we did in our old life before we were rescued by Christ. Instead, we are to put off our old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of our minds and to put on the new self created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. So, um, the passage that we read talks about um, our true enemies, right? Our struggle is not against flesh and blood, but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. But those outside evil forces are not our only enemy. Often our worst enemy is, in, in, is inside. Our old self, our sinful nature, which um, <clears throat> we still carry around with us, according to Paul. But God has given us a new nature. So Paul says our job is to put off our old self and to put on our new self. To, um, another way to look at it is, is uh, to nurture our new nature and not nurture the old nature. To uh, put it to death is another way that Paul puts it. To put to death the misdeeds of our body to mortify our flesh. And um, some of the ways that we do this, he, in the text, Paul says this. So how do we put off our old, new nature, our old nature and put on our new nature? One is we put off falsehood and we speak truthfully instead. Another way is that instead of stealing, we no longer steal, instead we work, doing something useful with our own hands that it may benefit those in need. But more than that, we don't just work to provide for our own needs, but so that we have extra to share with those who are in need. We get rid of unwholesome talk, but only let what is helpful for building others up come out of our mouths, that it may benefit those who listen. And he says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God with whom you were sealed for the day of redemption. Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other just as in Christ God forgave you. We are told to be imitators of God and live a life of love. We are told to live as children of light, which is what we are. And have nothing to do with the fruitless deeds of darkness. He says, be filled with the Spirit, speaking to one another with psalms, hymns, and spiritual songs. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, 
always giving thanks to God the Father for everything in the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. So, you know, as at, we're to be imitators of God, as Christ has forgiven us, so we're to forgive one another. The same grace that God has shown to us, that same grace we're to extend to our others, especially to our brothers and sisters in Christ. <clears throat> so we should be overflowing with patience and with gentleness and with kindness and with brotherly love and things. We dishonor Christ when we, um, when we hold grudges against one another, when we bicker and fight and, and things like that. We're to be imitators of God. As Christ sacrificed himself for us and gave himself up as an offering to God, so we are to follow in his steps and um, take up our cross and follow him. Be willing to lay down our own lives, to think of others before ourselves. He also says, um, he also says we're to submit to one another out of reference for Christ. This is the section where he talks about uh, wives submitting to husbands and children obeying their parents. But what I want to point out here is that he even says that slaves are to obey their masters. Now that's a pretty remarkable thing, especially in these days. There's, there's a lot of talk about slavery, right? Now, don't get me wrong, slave is and was an evil institution, right? I don't think God ever intended for men to enslave other men and, and to uh, treat other men as subhuman. you know? The thing is, is that slavery was... Um, was the way things were in the Roman Empire, it was very common. They depended, every time they conquered a people, part of what they did was that they took <coughs> some of their people back to Rome as slaves. They enslaved them. Part of this is to show their dominance. Part of it was also to deplete their, their military of fighting men and, and things. It was a way of controlling, dominating, and forcing submission on the people that the Romans conquered. But it was, slavery was a part of everyday life in, in the Rome that Paul lived in. <clears throat> and um, the, the thing is, is that, um, that I've often wondered about is why did Paul not call for an end to slavery? This would have been a good place for him if he were a social justice warrior. He could have called out for, um, for uh, all Christians to give up their slaves, but he didn't do that. He could have called for Christians to uh, riot and protest against the Roman Empire and demand that they free all the slaves. He didn't do that either. Why is it, do you think, that Paul didn't do that? Why did he not call for an end to slavery? 
Now, um, I think God intended to end slavery through the church in time that he orchestrated that. And in, in time, you know, Christians woke up and said, hey, you know what? This is not right for us to be doing. We're supposed to be uh, Christians following Christ, and how could we be doing this to other human beings? And, and so, um, you know, uh, it, at least in, in the West, slavery was brought to an end. It isn't over everywhere, by the way. Just so you know, there is still slavery in the world. <clears throat> anyway, but Paul didn't do that. Uh, why? I'll, I'll tell you what I think about that. I think it's because, again, um, social justice and political right and wrong and things were not Paul's primary concern. Neither were they Jesus' primary concern. Remember, the Roman Empire was as wicked as you could get. It was, um, it was an evil regime. But Jesus still said to render unto Caesar's what was Caesar's. The primary concern was um, preaching the gospel and living a life that was honorable to Christ. The spread of the gospel was more important than making sure the evils of society were righted. That was apparently something to be left up to God. So Paul didn't tell slaves, hey, you need to seek your freedom. No, he told them to be really good slaves. And he didn't tell masters to give up their slaves. He said, be really good masters. You know, just, I'll, I'll just read the passage. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor when their eye is on you, but like slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is slave or free. We're all supposed to be slaves, slaves of Christ. And whatever we do is to be done for him, whether, it's, whether we're a slave and doing it for our earthly masters, or as he says, whether we're a master who has slaves. Masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours is in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. So their masters are supposed to treat their slaves well and, and um, be kind to them and treat them as, as Christ would treat them, right? And, and um, I, I find that very interesting. In fact, at the same time, as Paul finished the letter to, um, to the Ephesians, he was also sending out the letter to the Colossians and he was, at the same time, sending a slave back to his master. That slave's name was Onesimus. And he sent Onesimus back to his master Philemon with a letter. That letter is in the scriptures, is in our New Testament, called the letter to Philemon. And um, in that letter, just a summary, 
well, what had happened is Onesimus had fled his master. He had gotten free and he had run away and somehow he had encountered Paul and he had heard the gospel and he had been saved and became a Christian. So Paul apparently told Onesimus, okay, now that you're a Christian, now it's time for you to go back to your master and obey him. And he sent him with a letter. But the letter <coughs> told uh, his master, Philemon, to forgive Onesimus and accept him back as a brother. And, um, you know, it, he doesn't actually come out and tell him to free him, but it, it, it's almost implied a little bit. But you have to read the letter of Philemon yourself. But it, it is um, remarkable. So, I think the larger context of Ephesians helps shed light on the meaning of the armor pieces in the end of the letter and on what spiritual warfare really looks like. Um, so, in, in, back in your text, if you look at verses uh, 14 and following, Paul says, Stand firm then with the belt of truth buckled around your waist, with the breastplate of righteousness in place, and with your feet fitted with the readiness that comes from the gospel of peace. In addition to all this, take up the shield of faith with which you can extinguish all the flaming arrows of the evil one. Take the helmet of salvation and the sword of the Spirit, which is the word of God. And pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests. With this in mind, be alert and always keep on praying for all the saints. Pray also for me that whenever I open my mouth, words may be given me, so that I will fearlessly make known the mystery of the gospel for which I am an ambassador in chains. Pray that I may declare it fearlessly as I should. So, um, without getting into like each individual piece of armor, I would summarize the meaning of the armor like this. <clears throat> what does spiritual warfare really look like? One, it looks like the way we live, right? The... Um, belt of truth and the breastplate of righteousness. How we live in God's sight and as a witness to the world, you know. Jesus said, you know, this is how men will know that you're my disciples if you love one another, right? So um, that's one element. The other, is, the next one is trust in God. Trust in God. He talks about taking the shield of faith so that you can extinguish the flaming arrows of the evil one. The, the, the evil one's always throwing darts at us, trying to undermine our faith, trying to break our trust in God, to get us to give in to fear and to, uh, um, and, and, uh, to disobey and things like that, to, to undermine us, always attacking. And how do we fend off those attacks? with the shield of faith, by trusting in God, by trusting in God through obedience and by trusting in God by, by what he says in his word, by his promises. The next element is 
is the Word of God. Um, in, in this passage, I see the Word of God as both defensive and offensive. You know, um, that um, the belt of truth is, you know, part of the defensive. We, we, um, we shield ourselves from um, evil and things by saturating ourselves with the Word of God, by knowing the truth so that we're not um, tossed back and forth by every wind of doctrine, by the cunning and craftiness of men and their deceitful scheming, as Paul says. If we know the truth and are grounded in the truth, then, um, then, then um, we, we're, we're stable. We're not deceived by, by lies that are meant to um, uh, undermine our faith and to separate us from God and to um, also uh, separate us from our brothers and sisters in Christ. But the Word of God is also an offensive weapon. You know, uh, Jesus left us this example when he was tempted by the devil, right? When the devil um, said one thing to him, what Jesus combated it with was scripture. <clears throat> Jesus said, it is written. And, and that's what we're to do too. And also it's, offensive in, it's an offensive weapon in the sense of spreading the gospel. <clears throat> I'm convinced the best way to combat evil is by is by converting people being converted to Christ, right? I think we can change laws and things all we want, but if, if uh, hearts are not changed, the laws will get, just get changed right back. Same thing goes with elections, you know? We can elect so-and-so into office and think, oh boy, this is great. We've got, uh, you know, things are going to change now. We're going to undo all these wicked laws. We're going to get all the great judges in there that we want and stuff like that. But if, um, if, uh, if uh, people's hearts are still not changed, there's, uh, and, and uh, they're becoming more and more rebellious against God and things like that, all they're going to do is, is change laws back and, and uh, things just continue to go downhill. The best way to combat evil is through the gospel. That was how the Roman Empire was conquered, right? Was <coughs> by the preaching of the gospel. <coughs> and the last thing is prayer. Paul talks about um, praying in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers and requests and for <coughs> always praying for all the saints and to pray for him that he would have the courage to preach the gospel as, as he should. And, and I would pray that for us as well and for myself. I think of the example of Daniel Daniel was taken from his home as a young man and he lived through three administrations and all of them were bad. He lived through the administration of King Nebuchadnezzar who um, tried to force him to eat unkosher food, first of all. And then um, he tried to force, force him to worship a 90-foot-tall statue of himself when... Uh, 
Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego refused to do so. He threw them into a fiery furnace to kill them. But um, when that didn't work, because for some reason they wouldn't burn, uh, he instead promoted them to high positions in the kingdom. You know, Nebuchadnezzar was kind of a stubborn guy, so he still had a lot of pride, and uh, God humbled him by um, by making him uh, lose his mind and become like an animal for a while and eat grass. And when he finally got his senses back, then he praised the God of heaven and said, okay, there's nobody like God, the God of Daniel, right? It was Daniel's job to break the news to him because he interpreted a dream. And he said, oh, king, you know what? This dream is not good news because this is what God's going to do to you. After King uh, Nebuchadnezzar, this is still the Babylonian kingdom, is King Belshazzar. King Belshazzar um, was wicked all the way through. And, but it seems as though Daniel is, still, Daniel is still serving in the high position in the, in the kingdom. So it's interesting because um, it's remarkable how Daniel was able to live among the Babylonians without compromising his faith. He stood as a witness to God, and yet... He wasn't always fighting against the government. As a matter of fact, he served in the government. He served in the government and um, worked for the benefit and the welfare of the kingdom where God had put him, even though it was a wicked kingdom. But uh, King Belshazzar, you know, all we have recorded for him is bad news because Daniel told him... uh, that uh, his kingdom was going to end. And sure enough, the Persians conquered them. Then he served under King Darius, or Darius, probably. Darius really liked Daniel, but he was tricked by uh, uh, wicked forces. The deep state within Persia uh, conspired to uh, use uh, uh, Darius's own laws against Daniel. And Darius wasn't wise to the fact. So they passed a law that anybody who worshipped anybody other than the Persian king was to be thrown into the lion's den. Well, Daniel refused to obey that law. And he worshipped the God of heaven, even though he knew that it would, could mean his death. And when um, he was told on by, uh, you know, it was leaked to the press that Daniel was worshipping uh, when he shouldn't be, uh, King Darius was really um, distressed by this because he never intended for Daniel to get caught up in this net. But he realized, oh no, this means that Daniel has to be put to death. And he was powerless because he couldn't even change his own laws. Once a law was passed, that was it in Persia. But God was glorified again because Daniel was thrown in the lion's den and instead of uh, being eaten by the lions, he made friends with them. And those, uh, those wicked people in the deep state, instead they were thrown into the lion's den. What's the point of all of that? Is that um, all of that stuff that we don't have any control over, 
God does have control over that. You know, we are, uh, it isn't, don't get me wrong, it isn't that we shouldn't be politically involved or informed or even active, that we shouldn't speak up or speak the truth, although the scriptures do tell us to speak the truth in love. But, um, you know, uh, and, and we should vote and all of these things. But um, I think it's our job to be revolutionaries and try to overthrow governments or, or to get uh, bent out of shape when, when things um, don't go uh, the way we'd like. So what, think about worst case scenario. We're not even promised or um, guaranteed that where we live is going to stay a free country or a democracy. What if um, our country became like China or North Korea? You know, what would it be that God would expect us to do in those times? We, you know, uh, there are Christians in North Korea. They don't have freedom of speech or the right to assemble. You know, they have the right to die for the name of Jesus Christ. That's what they have the right to do, to die and be persecuted. But, um, you know, that our God's highest purpose for us and our primary concern is not to have... um, Peace and prosperity and good things happen to us in this world. Our, uh, our primary hope, our primary concern, the thing that we're looking forward to is the world to come. And God's going to work out all of those details. Um, we want to honor Christ here and now, whatever happens to us. And... Um, So I just pray that God would give us the grace to do that. To not be distressed by the things that we see going on around us. To remember what the scriptures teach us. How we should live whatever our circumstances are. And and, um, to keep our focus and our priorities on that. Let's pray. Lord, I, um, it's easy for us to get caught up in the cares of the world, to be distressed by, um, by, uh, by the evil and the wickedness here. Um, Lord, help us to keep our eyes focused on you and to, um, um, well, to live a life of love. Jesus talked about... Um, In times of distress, people's love growing cold. Lord, I pray you don't let that happen to us. Lord, help us to um, live uh, in unity and in love towards one another. No matter who is in charge, no matter who runs the government, no matter um, how much wickedness there is or how much our rights are taken away. And... um, to remember that our life is, is hidden in Christ with you, that no one can take it away, that they can harm the body, 
but they can't harm our soul. There's no way that they can touch us, that uh, we are safe in your care and in your hand. Help us to live that way, Lord, to um, uh, seek to live lives of, of peace, to, um, to uh, live lives of righteousness, to trust in you, and to uh, be prayer warriors, Lord, to, be, to pray and to uh, preach the gospel. Let, let the gospel be the main thing that we're concerned about, that um, instead of looking at those that, um, that uh, appear to be our enemies, Lord, let's look at them, help us to look at them as lost souls, someone who needs to hear the gospel, someone who is lost like we were, and um, someone that uh, you love and can rescue by your spirit. Lord, we need your grace. We need um, your power. We need your spirit. We can't do these things on our own. We're weak. And I just pray that you would help us to do this, Lord, that you would enable us to do this, that we bring honor to Jesus Christ and Bring glory to your name. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.